The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Andrew Martin. I'm the youth pastor here at Christ the King, and it's my privilege to welcome you all this morning to our service. Uh, we're going to be continuing our study series in the book of Romans, uh, so please go ahead and turn with me to Romans chapter 14. We're going to be in Romans 14, and uh, if you were here last week, we were in Romans 13, and in Romans 13, the big emphasis was that we are dual citizens as Christians. Uh, we are citizens of the city of God. We are also uh, citizens of this, of this earth as well and the society in which we live, uh, and that's a beautiful thing that we as Christians can call one another fellow citizens of the city of God. Uh, but we also know that very often we can be citizens of the same country, we can be members of the same team, we can be employees of the same company, and we can disagree greatly on different kinds of matters. And these disagreements, we know, can also sometimes get pretty ugly as well. And so Romans 14 is going to walk us through what does it look like as we seek as Christians to deal with our disagreements. So with that in mind, let's, let's go ahead and turn to God's word now. Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then... Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that you care about every aspect of our lives. Thank you that you, that you care um, about the disagreements that we have. And Father, thank you that in your kindness and in your love and in your grace, uh, you speak into those disagreements so that we can deal with them in ways that are honoring to you and loving to one another. Help us now through your word to be shaped into people who do that well. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
So uh, one Sunday morning, uh, years ago, before we moved to Roanoke, so this did not happen here at Christ the King, in case you're wondering, uh, many Sundays ago, I was, at a, I was at church, and there was a new couple that came that was visiting the church, and as I was talking with them, uh, they were sharing about their life, where they'd come from, and they're like, yes, we're originally from the state of Alabama, and we are Alabama fans. And as I heard this, I was like, oh, I started to get really excited because, you know, I love to network and connect people who have similar interests and, and backgrounds. And I remembered, oh, there's another couple that's also from Alabama. So as, I was, as I'm looking around, I see, this, I see this, uh, this couple over there. I'm like, oh, hey, guys, come on over here. I was real excited. And I said, hey, uh, I want to introduce you uh, to my new friends. They're also uh, from Alabama, and they're Alabama fans just like you. And at that moment, I was reminded of how active, careful listening is so important. <laughs> because as I introduced them and, and made this revelation, one of the, the other couple looked at me and they said, um, we're Auburn fans. <laughs> and it was like, a, you ever had that moment where like the invisible curtain just kind of drops you know, between you and everyone else who's there, this curtain just sort of dropped and it felt a little cool and it was summertime and, uh, and I was just, we were just standing there awkwardly and I was feeling very silly because I had accidentally introduced this couple by highlighting the fact that they were on different sides of one of the biggest rivalries in college sports. Now, fortunately, uh, God is greater than our college allegiances, and his grace overcomes our, the barriers in our hearts. And, and so they did not despise this other couple. They did not condemn them for being Alabama fans. Um, no, they, I'm sure they went on to welcome them as they, as they got to know them better. But here's the deal. Oftentimes, the differences and the disagreements that we have as Christians do not have a happy ending like this story did. So often in real life, the differences that we have as Christians often deal in way, often end up in ways that are destructive. We deal with our differences often in ways that are very destructive. And this is the situation that Paul was addressing here in Romans chapter 14. Look with me there again in verse 1. He says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not the quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Then if we go back down to verse 5, it says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. So what these two verses are showing us here, it's giving us a window into the life of the church in Rome. And what it reveals is that there was a disagreement in that church over what you could or couldn't eat, over food and diet. And there was also a disagreement over the calendar. What days are we going to observe as special? Which day, or, or are we not going to observe days as special? And the disagreement was between two groups. The strong, which they're, they're, there's not a word here that says the strong, but we can infer, okay, if there's a weak group, there's, there's the strong group as well. So the strong in faith and the weak in faith. Now the weak, if you'll notice, the, the weak in faith believed that they should not eat meat. They believed they should not eat meat and that they should treat certain days of the year as special. Now, you may wonder, why does Paul refer to them as weak? Well, he refers to them as weak because it, it was allowable. Like, it was, it was perfectly fine for them not to eat meat if they chose not to. It was perfectly fine for them to observe certain days, especially if they desired. However, the problem was they were beginning to treat these things as though they were mandatory. 
They were beginning to treat these practices and beliefs as though they were actual biblical commands. And it seems that they were trying to compel the strong to follow them in these beliefs and to follow them in these practices. And the other group, the strong in faith, uh, they rightly disagreed with the weak uh, because the, the strong, they rightly believed that there was freedom, that there was freedom in this situation to have a difference of opinion, to have a difference in their practice. So these two groups disagreed, the strong and the weak. And notice what Paul does. Paul warns these two groups. He warns both groups of Christians not to deal with these disagreements in ways that would be destructive. Look what he says there in verse 1. He, the strong were commanded not to get into quarrels. They were commanded not to get into unhealthy arguments with the weak. In verse 3, the strong were also commanded not to despise the weak. They were, they were not to act like, like they were better or, that, or, to, or to ridicule them. Now, in verse 3, again, the weak, though, he, he had a word for them as well. They were not to stand in judgment over the strong. He was warning both sides not to deal with their disagreements in ways that would be destructive. And y'all, this message, it matters very much for us today. It, very, it matters very much for Christians today because we, we also face the same challenges that our brothers and sisters in the faith were facing 2,000 years ago in the, in the city of Rome. We continue to face disagreements in the church and we can easily easily deal with these disagreements in ways that are destructive. We can easily fall into unhealthy arguments, into despising and judging one another. Let's look a few ways that this could happen. Maybe, maybe we disagree on what's the best way to educate our children. Another, another disagreement could be what is appropriate and what is inappropriate when it comes to engaging our culture with the good news of the gospel. What practices are okay and, and which ones cross the line? Or another one that could, get, that could get a little steamy sometimes is, what about who we elect into office? What kind of a person is it okay for a Christian to vote on? What about what kind of a person should a Christian not vote for? Now, we are, we are not going to begin. I'm not, we're, we're not going to, to analyze and debate these this morning. All we're trying to do is show that there are real disagreements that we have and that these disagreements can be dealt with in, in some very ugly ways, and that we need this message as well, because it is so easy for us to look at another Christian and say, man, I cannot believe that they believe that we should or should not fill in the blank. And it is so easy for us to, to become outraged and to begin to shake our fists in condemnation and say, I can't believe that they think that we should or that we should not fill in the blank. It is so easy for us to fall into that. And, and let me just say, you know, some of us may be feeling, you know what, I'm so glad we're talking about this because my neighbor so badly needs to hear this message. <laughs> but I'm good because I've never shaken my fist at someone. I've never despised them. But, but before we do that, just to make sure that we, we're all in this together, let me just ask you, what have you done in your heart towards the other person? And you might think, well, you know, heart, smart, whatever, man. Like, it's not as big a deal as acting out, right? Well, it's better to not be upset in our heart and act out. That is better. But Jesus was very concerned with what happens in our hearts. Jesus said that it's our hearts that are the root of the sin that comes out in our thoughts and in our words and in our deeds. And here's the thing about the heart, you all. It's pretty leaky. 
what is in your heart has a phenomenal way of beginning to seep out in ways that we might not even realize it's doing. And in addition to that, if for somehow, if you've been able to compartmentalize your heart where there is zero leakage, uh, one, you might want to reanalyze that. I doubt that's actually the case. And two, that'd be kind of like saying, well, the, the house fire, it's just on the inside, man. It's not affecting my neighbors. It's good. Like a house fire is a serious thing because of what it does to the people around us and also what it's doing to us, how it's shaping our character, how it's shaping our lives. So this is absolutely relevant for all of us, whether it's internal, external, and most of the time, all of the above. And you may think, well, well, you know, big deal. <laughs> I mean, people fight all the time. They look down on their neighbors. They cast judgment. That's just the way of the world. And you are absolutely right. That is the way of the world. But the people of God, Christians, we're supposed to be different. You see, as Christians, our our main fundamental purpose in life is to bring glory to God. And one of the key ways we do that is by helping His goodness to be, to be seen, to be experienced, just as Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, Your will be done on earth. And one way that we, we help this to become a reality in the world is through how we love one another in the midst of our differences and how the watching world sees us deal with these differences in a way that they can see the goodness of who God is. You all, this, this issue is fundamental. It is central to our purpose in life as individuals and as a body of believers. This, this matters greatly. So what are we to do? How, are we, how is God shaping Christians to deal with disagreements in the church? Well, one guiding principle, you'll see this in your outline, is that we recognize disagreements. And I want to nuance that a little bit. We recognize and we respond to different kinds of disagreements. So last weekend, we hosted a, a basketball tournament here in our parking lot. And what we did was we went out there and we put tape down on the ground to mark off the boundaries for the court. You can actually see some of, those, some of that tape out there so people know, oh, was that a two-point shot or was that a three-point shot? Can I take the ball over here or is that going to be taking it out of bounds? And we did this so that the players would know, hey, what's okay to do and what's not okay to do in the midst of this tournament? And so we're actually going to do a very similar thing right now. We're going, to put some, we're going to put some boundary lines down. We're going to put some tape out on the court so that we can see, hey, what are the different kinds of disagreements that we might encounter as Christians? And which ones are okay to have? And which ones do we need to treat differently? So as we do that, remember, Paul grouped these Christians into two groups, the strong and the weak. But notice what Paul did not do. Paul did not condemn the weak or their views and their practices. He did not say that they had beliefs that were so out of line with the truth that they just needed to be outright rejected. And we know that Paul, Paul was not afraid to condemn people if they had stepped out of bounds. And we know this uh, because in another letter to some Christians in, in the city of Galatia, he had done this very thing. He actually wrote to them to condemn beliefs that had utterly abandoned the good news about Jesus. But Paul doesn't do that here. He doesn't do that with the weak Christians here in Rome. The second thing Paul does not do, he did not call for anyone to be disciplined. And again, we know that Paul was not afraid to discipline Christians when it was necessary to, to discipline those who were living in outright disobedience. Because again, in another letter, he commanded for the church in the city of Corinth, there was a Christian who had just completely gone out of bounds of what God's clear desires were for his people. 
And he says, you need to address that. You cannot just let that go. But he doesn't do that here. And so what we see, what we recognize, is that there are different kinds of disagreements that we can have in the church. And one common way to distinguish these is using the categories essential and non-essential beliefs. Essential and non-essential beliefs. There are essential beliefs that we simply cannot budge on. Think of the smallest unit of measurement you can imagine. We can't even budge on them, like, even that much. Um, and we have to actually speak out against teaching and practices that disagree with these beliefs. There are times when we have to, like in the tournament, we have to blow the whistle and say, hey, that's out of bounds. We can't have that. We need to, we need to make some corrections and some adjustments here. So, for example, one essential belief is that we are forgiven by God's grace through faith in Jesus, not by our own works and merit. That is, a, that is an essential belief. And if someone teaches that we must somehow earn our forgiveness uh, before God, we seek to love that person, we seek to, to gently and graciously correct them, and we stand very strong at the same time against that teaching because it, is, it completely undercuts the gospel. That would be an essential belief. At the same time, we see in this passage, there are also non-essential beliefs and practices. It, it doesn't when I say non-essential, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, oh, they don't matter. It's not a big deal. That's, we are not saying that. And Paul's not saying that. We're going to see that in a minute. What it does mean, though, is that they are not as weighty as the essential beliefs. As one commentator puts it, if we disagree on a non-essential belief, we can recognize that difference, and if necessary, we can let it go, and we can continue to move forward together. And this is what Paul gets at in verse 5. Look at, the, look at the second half of, well, look at verse 5. He says, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. In this and non-essential matters like it, there is freedom. Do you hear that? There is freedom for Christians to differ in their beliefs and in their practices. But the same verse also shows us that we, we, don't, we don't treat these differences lightly. We actually respond to these in two key ways. The first way we do is we actually respond by digging into these disagreements. These aren't situations where we simply say, oh, well, agree to disagree. That's not what Paul says here. Look again in verse 5. He says, one person esteems one day is better than another, another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Y'all, for that to actually take on life, for that to actually work itself out in our lives, to become fully convinced, we're going to need to study. We're going to need to pray. We're going to need to meditate on the truths of God's Word. We're going to need to have conversations with other people and consult and get other people's wisdoms as we, as we study and discuss Scripture. And as we do that, this can get a little scary, we may realize that, on our, that our own views on a subject need to shift. We might discover that, hey, you know what? I wasn't as rooted biblically as I thought I was as I continue to dig more deeply into these things. And, and we may see that our views need to come more into alignment with Scripture. This means that as we study and work to become convinced of our, of our views, what that means is we need to ask ourselves honest questions. We need to ask ourselves, do I believe this? Do I practice this? Because I believe it's what the Bible teaches. Or... Have I just kind of gone along with what 
felt right or what the culture seemed to say? Are my beliefs and practices rooted in Scripture? We need to be honest with ourselves and, and figure, because that is a, a key way of dealing with these differences in health and healthy ways. So we take these non-essential matters seriously. We study, we form our beliefs, we live those out. And in the cases where we become convinced of our position from the Bible and we still disagree, we do not despise or judge one another. And this leads into the second way we respond. While we recognize that some things we disagree on are non-essential, we also seek to recognize the heart of the Christian that we disagree with. We started off by talking about the importance of the heart it's important to, to take into account the heart of the Christian that we disagree with as we seek to deal with that disagreement. Look with me in verse 6. The one who observed the day, why do they do that? In honor of the Lord. The one who eats, again, we see they're eating in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. What this is talking about is the reality we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks. That the mercy of God shown to us in Jesus has deeply moved the heart of a Christian. As, we, as it begins to sink deeply into our bones, into our souls, what Jesus has done for us, it moves us, it shapes us, and it gives us a heart that recognizes and responds to the truth that Jesus is our King. I mean, that's the truth that it's getting at in verse 9. And it, the, the gospel begins to shape us and move us so that we recognize He has authority over us, and we do belong to God, which is what we see in verse 8. And this should, this should move and melt our hearts so that we long to live for God, as we see in verse 7, and to honor him in everything that we do, which is what he's talking about in verse 6. To love God as he has loved us, including loving him through our decisions related to non-essential matters. And so one key practice that helps us deal with our disagreements in ways that show God's goodness through the way we love one another is to recognize that each person has become convinced of their view based on the teaching of Scripture. Believes that, that what they are doing shows love and obedience and honor for God, as we see in verse 6. In, in other words, let me put it another way, what helps us deal with our disagreements is to recognize that in all of our hearts, while we might disagree on a topic, what is the same is that we are seeking to honor and love the same King. We are seeking to honor and love the same Lord, Jesus. And when we can recognize this motive in the heart of our fellow Christian, man, that goes a long way in helping us to deal with our disagreements well. And as we recognize and respond to our disagreements, uh, we relate to one another as God relates to us. That's the second point you have in your, in your bulletin there. Look with me in verse 1. It says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him but not to quarrel over opinions. Then go back down to verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Why? For God has welcomed him. That is what we see. When, when Christians disagree on non-essential matters, we welcome one another the way that God has welcomed us in Christ. So one afternoon, I got home from work. 
And uh, uh, Heather, my wife, she, she told me that one of our kids at school that day had gotten hurt. Uh, specifically what happened was they were playing on the playset, and another kid walked up to him and was just like, have a nice trip, and just pushed him right off the playset. And, you know, it was for their height and size, it was a pretty, pretty good little fall, and they just, you know, they, they ate it pretty good. And when I heard this story, my heart just broke <laughs> because I love my child. And, I, and, and that is not what I want to see happen to them. And so, you know, we, we talked with them, but we also, as a, as a, out of a desire to, to, to make sure they are loved and cared for, we, we called up the school and we're like, hey, you know, what, what, do we, what can we do? How can we work together to help, you know, prevent this from happening in the future? And I imagine that many, probably all of us here, whether we have children or not, we've, already, we've probably experienced something like that. There's the child of a neighbor or a niece or a nephew or a cousin. There's a young child that we care deeply for. We have welcomed them into our lives, and we desire for them to experience that same love and care and welcome among other people that we ourselves have shown to them. And that is the kind of thing that Paul's getting at here when he is talking about the welcome that we have received from God. As our Father looks at you and adores you as his precious child who has been welcomed into his family. But, but just how has our Father welcomed us? Well, we saw an allusion to it in verse 9. Look there again. It says, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Now, in this passage, verse 9 is primarily focused on Jesus' authority. Okay, that's like the central thing he's talking about there. But it also reminds us of the cost that God paid to welcome us into his family. That was how committed he was to welcoming you, to welcoming me that he was willing for God the Son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that we could be pardoned for our rebellion against God and be changed from his enemies to his children who are welcomed into his family. Christian, that is how loved you are by God. That is what he has done to welcome you into his family. Jesus, Jesus didn't just allow himself to get roughed up on the playground. Jesus allowed himself to be rejected and killed so that we could be received by God. And when that mercy from God, when that, when that sacrifice and welcome begins to move our hearts, it shapes us so that our attitudes towards one another begin to match God's attitude towards us and to the rest of our family in Christ. So that we relate to one another the way God already relates to us through Jesus. Our, our Father, He loves us. And he is working through his word and through his spirit to turn us away from despising and condemning one another. He's working through his word and his spirit to, to turn us away from just shoving each other off the playset when we have a disagreement. And rather turning to, to welcome one another as we have been so deeply welcomed by Christ. So my friends, let me ask you, when you look into the mirror, what do you see? Do you see someone who is deeply loved and cherished and welcomed by God? Do you see that? Because that is what you are if you are trusting in Jesus. And let me ask you another question. When you turn away from that mirror and you begin to look at the people next to you who are also professing faith in Christ, what do you see? Do you see, do you see an opponent that we must wrestle in single combat to the ground and achieve victory over? 
Or do you see someone who is so loved by God that Jesus hung on the cross to redeem them and to bring them into our family? Do you see someone who's, who your heart longs to welcome, even in the midst of disagreements? Because that's what our Father has done. And if not, let me just ask you, what, what would look different? If that's not your heart to that person, what would begin to look different as God's Word and Spirit began to actually shape us into that kind of person? Like, you've, you've probably seen some of those documentaries where it's like the before and after documentary kind of deal. What would look different as you filmed those scenes, if those scenes were filmed out in your life? As deep dives were done into your heart and your thoughts and your words and actions, how would the scenes look different as God began to slowly turn you from someone who despises and condemns in a disagreement to one who takes it seriously but, but welcomes another in the midst of non-essential disagreements? What would that look like? These are, these are vital questions to meditate on. They are essential to our purpose and to our mission. And as we've seen, as we, as we deal with disagreements, we also relate to one another, the, God, the way God relates to us, but we also respect God's role. And before I get into that last point, let me just say one thing. Perhaps some of you are here this morning, and um, you're, you're not actually quite sure what you think about the Bible. And you, you would not describe yourself as a Christian. But I wonder if the kind of welcome that's been described in God's Word is, is resonating with you a little bit. I wonder if, if you see that kind of welcome where God welcomes and loves and cares for you even when you don't have it all together, even when you're still trying to figure stuff out, even when you have failed to love others well, I wonder if that is appealing to you. And if it is, let me tell you, you actually can receive that welcome. When you are trusting in Jesus, when, you are, when you're like leaning on him to deal with all your junk through his death and resurrection, when you trust in him for those things, that is the welcome that you receive. That is the welcome you receive. We, we also respect God's role. Take a look in verse 4. <clears throat> Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Friends, we respect God's role when we recognize and respond to the truth that God is the judge and not us. Again, this is not talking about times when we recognize a clear-cut sin in someone's life and we go to them lovingly to, to rebuke them for their sins and to call them back to the path of obedience. Jesus makes clear that there are times for that. This is talking about matters that are non-essential. Matters that are a matter of conscience, where there is freedom to decide. And in these cases, we allow God to be God. And we don't try to take his role as judge. Um, Pastor Tim Keller, who, who just passed away recently, in his study on Romans, this is how he describes it. Verse 4 is a strong warning against denouncing a Christian who differs from you in a matter of conscience. That person is not your servant. Let the master, Jesus Christ, do the judging as to whether the other person is serving him properly. And we see this theme in verses 10 through 12 as well, where in verse 11, he quotes the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And, in, and, and basically what he's doing there is he's highlighting God's authority. He's highlighting that God is a sovereign, so we can let him be God and we can follow him. So we're, we are almost done. So here, let me just, let me just close with this. When we respect God's role, that actually frees us. 
it actually frees us from a burden that we were never meant to bear. Because while we might like the idea initially of passing judgment on things, if, if we actually realize what that's requiring and what that calls us to, that could actually be crushing to try to be infinite in knowledge and all of these things. And when we're freed from, from trying to take on God's job, it actually frees us so that we can put down our stones of commendation, we can close our mouths with words of judgment and despising, and we can actually open our arms to welcome people because we're free to do that. And all of this, as I close, all of this, you all, is possible because of what Jesus has done. This will not happen without Jesus because Jesus, through him, we have received eternal welcome by God our Father. And that welcome comes with the gift of the Spirit. So if you're feeling discouraged by the we recognize, we respect, we relate, here's the good news. When Jesus welcomed you, he also, it came with a gift. It came with the gift of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who helps us discern whether a, a disagreement is essential or not. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us a heart to welcome and relate to one another the way God relates to us. And the Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to respect God's role. So let's thank him right now for that and ask for his help. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are good and that you are loving. We thank you that you love us and, and an expression of your love is in how we treat one another and that you, you are shaping us to be good and loving to our fellow Christians. And so, Father, Lord, help us. We need your help. Give us wisdom to know when this is something to really debate over and when this is something to, to disagree on and to continue to receive one another in peace. Help us to love one another the way you love us and help us to trust you as the good and wise and all-knowing judge of all things. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.